everybody. Hey everybody, welcome to the thriller horror section of Hit Rewind. I'm your host, Michael, uh, aka the Firestarter, Cryptic Firestarter, boom, boom, boom. That's all I think about every time I think of the word Firestarter, not the movie, the song by Prodigy. <laughs> uh, and the Outlander over there, Kersey. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Um, we're discussing Firestarter and Children of the Corn, and I think you are right. This is the bottom of the fucking barrel with Stephen King, and we're going to piss some people off. And I'm telling you, you look at the catalog of Stephen King movies, yeah, this, these are way fucking down there. I mean, it's it's not maximum overdrive. It, it, it's a it's a step above, but a very small step. It's it's. I think this has to do with De Laurentiis because he had taken so many properties of Stephen King's. Yes, he hit gold the first time with Dead Zone, but then there's mm-hmm. Firestarter, and then there's Silver Bullet, which I think is great, but it bombed horribly. Uh, maximum overdrive. I feel like uh, oh, and and sometimes they come back, which end up going straight to TV. Because his company went out of business, so he really didn't have much success in that way. Um, look, Firestarter is better than Children of the Corn, oh, but absolutely. it's so corny, so poorly acted. Like it just—it's camp. It's full on fucking camp. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more you can you, you can take away from Firestarter, but it's yeah, like you said, it, it, it it's it's not a it's not a rewatch. It's no. like a eh, okay. It's, I remember when I was a kid, it was a cult favorite, and everybody talked about it. And it did have a uh, TV spinoff many, many years later called Re, uh, uh, Firestarter Rekindled, which I watched. I mean, it really it already kind of looks and feels like it's a TV movie. Yeah, uh, which is weird because it cost $12 million, which is on more on the higher end of Stephen King movies at this point. Uh, made his money back, but it was a big hit on video. But I think the big problem is is where it started and where it ended. Originally, it was supposed to be John Carpenter, and he had the writer of The Thing, Burt Lancaster's kid, Bill Lancaster, was going to write it, and because The Thing bombed, Universal fired him and decided to go with Mark Lester, who had come off of Class of 1984. I, I don't see how you go from Class of 1984 to doing a Stephen King adaptation. Weird, okay. Um, I don't think it works because Mark Lester has never been a guy who had much of a vision. I mean, his movies are this, uh, Class 1984, which is his best movie, um, Commando, Armed and Dangerous, uh, what was the sequel? Uh, Class of 1990, and then a bunch of direct-to-video shit after that. The dude's Mm -hmm. not a visionary. Yeah, um, there's, there's a skeleton in there. Of a good movie somewhere. Yeah, I, I feel like a more talented director and writer can uh, can can make a really good movie out of that. Yeah, what I what I was saying is that Carpenter wanted to go too far away from the novel, and that's another reason why they got removed and they got a writer to go closer to the original vision. But the problem is, it said that they cut out all the nuance. They made it as basic as humanly possible. I don't know if it's to, you know to sell it internationally because that's usually how Dino De Laurentiis does his movies. Is he knows he has the American audience. But he also has the international sales, and making it as simple as possible makes it more digestible, I guess, to countries that you have to translate for. Mm-hmm. I guess that makes sense. This is also about the time that uh, Stephen King started his cocaine addiction, so yeah, they, that could be where a lot of that twelve million went. <laughs> uh, well, he's not really involved, actually. They kind of removed him from the production, and he would talk shit about this uh, off screen, you know, in interviews and stuff like that. And him and the director got into fights over it, so. Clearly, something didn't go his way. He's kind of like that. He's kind of kind of a bit of a baby, and uh, he just kind of 
you just got to step back and just let other people do what they do and yeah. just take the check and move on. Yeah, plus, you know, Stephen King movies sometimes get remade all the time. Right now, Blumhouse, it, Blumhouse? I think it's Blumhouse, is remaking Blumhouse. it. Ooh. Why, dude? I don't know. Because it's Never a sellable mind. property and they got to <laughs> deal with Universal. Um, so we have David Keith coming off of Officer and a Gentleman as the lead, Andy McGee, who <laughs> has a. Uh, Manipulative powers, tele, tele, you know, like not telekinetic but telepathic more. Um, but he does a few things where he can handle, like, uh, like he uh, has all the coins come out of the little coin, uh, the phone machine. But they're not anywhere nearly as possible, uh, powerful as his daughters. Yeah, because she. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's just start from the beginning. So the movie basically is that there is some kind of scientific study, or was it serum? Well, I can't remember. Well, it's kind of like scanners. Power. They take these uh, people who volunteer for uh, an experiment. Most of it's because you know they're like college students who need money, which is how you get introduced to her parents, David Keith and Heather Locklear. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's like you know ten years prior, and they're going through the experiments, and then it kind of jumps back into modern day. And that they're on the run, that the government's after them, and they're just trying to survive. And, you know, it starts to get manipulated by the government. They get captured, and uh, we have George C. Scott um, playing a very unconvincing Native American, John Rainbird, <laughs> um, hamming it up to the fucking hill. You want some of the chew scenery? He's there. He's got it uh, with a fork and spoon. And, uh, they're trying to control her and keep her away from her father so that, you know, because he's the one that's guiding her powers and she just lets loose. It, I mean, it to boil it down to its most bare minimum. Yeah, the ultimate goal, I think, is that they kind of want her to create, to basically be like a walking nuclear weapon. Yeah. Um, which, you know, interesting idea that I think has been done a lot of things in the Twilight Zone about just like having a child with this incredible superpower and like how do you control it and that kind of thing again interesting premise but kind of fails on this execution yeah it feels a little x-men-y like very early like you know before we got superhero movies on a regular basis they always felt like these movies are almost superhero movies that's what this kind of feels like yeah and you know everyone's like oh drew barrymore's first movie i mean she's not a good actress in this no boy she changed i know okay so the way that we treat children actors now compared to we did in the 80s if you could just read your fucking lines back in the 80s that was a miracle you know you watch et now and those kids are awful i know i I love henry thomas now and drew barrymore now but then they were terrible but we accepted it back in the 80s now if you saw these kids on the screen now you would laugh them off there was no fucking way yeah, exactly. I, w- I was actually just uh, watching a uh, movie, Good Night Mommy, which is a German horror film. Uh-huh. And, like, the child actors are incredible. Like, like our, our standards have risen way, way higher. Yeah, we have uh, Martin Sheen returning to another Stephen King movie from last year's Dead Zone. Uh, fine. Just, you know, just uh, he's kind of the guy behind the scenes controlling everything. Uh, I think it's a good cast, and I just, I think it's an okay production value, especially with the uh, the special effects. I mean, now they look a little cho- cheesy, but 1984, that was impressive to have those fireballs flying around. Yeah, it looked really good. Um, but I just think that it's clumsy, and it's uh, hammy as shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, it reeks of well, we only got time to shoot the scene once, so we got let's just go with it. Yeah, all the money must have been saved for uh, for the the pyrotechnics. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing I can really say that's great about this movie. Um, 
I have a lot to say about the next one if you want to move on. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that we've kind of been waiting to rip this next one apart. Yeah. I mean, holy... This other one was just kind of a little bit of a, it's a little bit to chew on, chew on, to chew on a little bit before we really get down into Yeah, it. I mean, for some reason in my head, this was better. All Both of them were better, but I always thought that uh, there's a reason why I never really watched Firestarter again. But Children of the Corn, I've seen many, many times. I've seen all the sequels. Well, I think most of the sequels. There was a lot of fucking sequels to this movie. <laughs> what? Apparently, I thought there was like three, and you told me there's like six or seven. Right okay, now. so uh, the first two were in theaters. The third one almost got into theaters till Dimension changed its mind at the last minute, which I think is funny because um, the third one is the best one, and then it just goes on and on and on. There's still there is there's even a remake this year. Um, <laughs> it's going to be on the Sci-Fi Network. Let's see where are we at. We have. Uh, 84 is this one um, from New World Pictures. And then Dimension Films bought the rights to this, uh, Hellraiser, and something else when they went out of business. Dimension would barf these things out at a regular speed. It's Children of the Corn 2 in 93, Part 3 in 95, Part 4 in 96, Part 5 in 98, Part 6, I'm sorry, Part 666 <laughs> in 1999. Children of the Corps Revelation, so that's 7 in 2001. Children of the Corps Remake for Sci-Fi Channel, which doesn't count because it's owned by a different company. It's just a remake of the first movie. Then we have a continuation in 2011, 10 years later. So Dimension didn't want to lose the rights. So they have Children of the Corps Genesis, which is 8. Children of the Corps Runaway in 2018, 9. And then we have another remake coming soon with uh, the director, Kurt Wimmer of... Um, What's that movie with uh, Christian Bale where he's in the like, Equilibrium? Have you ever seen that? Uh, no, I, I mean I've seen some clips of it. It's like the Gun Fu movie, right? Yeah, it, yeah. So yeah. he's going to direct it. So are we going to have? <laughs> are we going to have <laughs> Corn Fu? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why? It's like not even a good premise. I, I, it, because I it made it. a fuck ton of money. It's bananas how much money this movie made. It cost eight hundred thousand dollars. Made fourteen and a half million dollars at the box office. It was a massive video and TV rewatch. So Dimension saw the potential. They made a sequel in ninety three. Cost nine hundred thousand dollars. Made seven, but it became a big video hit. That's how these are. But a lot of these sequels are only made. So they can retain the rights. It's the same way with Highlander. Dimension doesn't want to lose the rights because they'll lose something. I don't know what. They're, they're big money makers, really? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. And like at some point, like I get that Sony wants to hold on to Spider Man because even a bad Spider Man movie can turn a profit. But like, how does Children of the Corn turn a profit? Yeah. Plus, it's a Spider Man universe. There's no Children of the Corn universe. Right. Who, who if you were just asked someone on the street, Hey, name one person in the Children of the Corn franchise. No one's going to guess. Yeah. Because no one cares. No one cares unless you're like a hardcore horror fan, but you're only going to know that first movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like two corn, two furious. You know, it's like, oh yeah. oh, yeah. I remember when that guy jumped in. Then he came back in part five. We loved it. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, this is a uh, New World Pictures, was Roger Corman's company. And in 1983, uh, small independent, kind of like, uh, what do you call them when a bunch of stockholders get together? What's that called? Um, Business meeting? No, no, it's like a hedge fund. Oh, yeah. A hedge fund came in and said they wanted to buy his distribution network. They didn't want to buy his actual studio, like the, the where they made them and, and the movies that he had already made. They just wanted 
his uh, distribution network. So they bought it, the name and that for $5 million. I think it was $5 million. And he just went off to create a new company called Concord Pictures. So their debut was Angel. Do you remember us doing that one a few years ago with the Teenage Hooker? Oh, yeah. That one was actually good. Yeah, that was their first one. This is their second movie. And uh, both were big hits. They're off to a running start. But I'll say this. Angel's a hell of a lot better than this fucking thing. Yes. I was so bored. I, I, I've seen this movie like ten times. This time I was just, nope, I'm done. See, both of these movies kind of break the, the golden rule uh, that Stephen King had, which was you introduce a very normal uh, family or people uh, and then gradually put them into a uh, creepy horror scenario. But like we already just immediately, oh, these people have superpowers. Uh, from Firestar, I'm like, okay, well, I can't really relate to these people because they're what, what they're going through. I can't I, is is weird, and no one ever goes through that, so I can't relate to that. Yeah. Throw them the corn immediately. First scene, it's like, oh, it's a bunch of kids just kill all the adults. Okay, yeah. cool. I guess like, where am I supposed <laughs> to go with this? But then you spend a half an hour with these this couple, and you're like, okay, that's not how I would have started this at all. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 just a weird situation. They they hit a kid who's who wandered into the middle of the street, and they they they're kind of not. It's not really a big deal is made out of it. Like at first they're like, oh my god, you killed a kid, and he's like, no, he actually died before. Oh, okay, cool. Let's go find a doctor, and it's like that's it. <laughs> okay, cool. I guess I guess the. The whole crux of the movie and the emotional pain of, of incidentally murdering a child, I guess, is just kind of brushed off, so I don't have to worry about that. Because, you know, it would be a weird conflict for the audience to be like, well, do we actually like this guy now? <laughs> so, weird thing. Uh, another thing, too, is that there's just no, like, message to the movie. They keep, like, trying to have a message, but they never, like, go all the way with it. Like, near the end of the movie, it was, like, an anti-religious movie for some reason. Yeah. I don't know what they were going for. Oh, right, because, you know, they're going through and every radio station is, you know, one of those preacher stations and stuff like that and the hypocrisy of their behavior. Yeah, you think they're going to go for that, but then it just turns into doll exploitation. Right. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the point is. I don't know what the message is. <laughs> take, I... take a drink every time he yells Outlander. Courtney Gaines, a tall redhead <laughs> kid. He just yells it like, yeah, well, okay, here, I'm going I'm to be done in 10 minutes. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, we got your woman, Outlander! It's it's <laughs> so slow and plotting. I do kind of like the end. I think it's the first movie to use that underground... Uh, you know the thing you see like Tremors and Dune and like 12 other movies around that time, like Screamers? Uh, I mean, the, the Thing had that too, yeah. Oh, never mind. You're right. That's, very that's, that's embarrassing. <laughs> yes, they did it first. But um, yeah, there's a little bit of entertainment value, but it's a one-time watch. Yeah, it's I don't know. You need you don't need to watch it. There's really no point. I guess watch a YouTube clip, or uh, I was maybe watch on the remakes. I have no idea if they're good, but I just discovered that Children of the Corn remake was already released last Halloween, uh, and it made <clears throat> one thousand dollars and one thousand twenty five dollars. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I'm so glad that, that studio held on to that that property because that was really paying dividends. There's not a single name I recognize here. Wow. It clearly shot to keep the rights again. Oh boy, yeah, I can't believe this is one of. The, uh, there's so many better horror franchises, and this just boggles my mind. There's as many of these as there are um, Friday the Thirteenth. You think they're hanging on to it because like 
maybe someday they'll accidentally make a good one on a low budget and then another company will be like hey can we buy this property from you maybe but that was part three part three was the good one it's fucking great i don't know it's weird i, I don't know what, what companies are doing they're, yeah they're heads so they just want known properties that's it just what do you know because nothing original seems to sell anymore I mean, it's because you don't bother to tell anybody about the original projects. That's what it seems like every time you hear, like, "Oh, this movie's great." I've, I've never even heard of it. Who put the? You know, they released it with like you know on a hundred screens, or went straight to VOD. Yeah, one of the best movies I've seen in a while uh, was The Night House, and I never heard anything about it. I just went to go see it on a lark because yeah. I was like, I, "The theaters are finally open. I'm gonna go see something that I've never heard of," and it was fantastic. I am watching. I am watching Paper Tigers right now, which is a very fun play on all those uh, "You Killed My Master, Prepare to Die" kind of films. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's these three kids who were supposed to be like the next wave of great martial artists, but this one incident destroys it for them. They don't see each other for like twenty years, and find out that their old master was killed mysteriously, and they get together. And turns out one is uh, can barely walk, and he's a, kind of an idiot and a drunk. And the other one forgot how to do martial arts because he switched over to MMA. And the other one is like <laughs> a boring—he's a boring dad who doesn't even want to talk about his martial arts history or whatever. And now they're so out of their element. It's very human, very funny. I absolutely adore it. Paper Tiger. It's, if you have Netflix, it's on there right now. Oh, nice. Yeah. See, like these things, people just kind of have to find and then talk about, like. Again, with the Night House, I feel like I've seen enough people talk about it now that I've seen like articles written about it, but they're all written so recently. Yeah. Well, I, like... well, I think if you – I'm on film Twitter, basically, that group. Yeah. Some of us are dicks. Some of us are not. We're, um, but I think my group of people are really supportive, and we, we spread the word on these movies that you need to see. And I uh, recently was uh, – another one that – is unique but kind of is different because everyone is talking about it is malignant yeah i heard that's a real 50 50 that it's really crazy kind of italian inspired horror oh yeah it's it's fantastic it's really really lame but i i think it's intentional a lot of people are not sure i'm pretty sure it's intentional does it feel like uh um like a dario argento film from the 70s and 80s Oh yeah, I was actually thinking it has it kind of blends the Suspiria style with like the crazy camera angles and all the really bright neon lighting, um, but combines that with really cheesy, shitty early two thousands oh, okay. slasher flicks. Yeah, we've never, like, we've never done an Argento film. I just realized that's because we're usually good, so it's not really. Well, we don't really do it for trash cinema, but we should have done it for this. But I, I, I feel yeah, like we sure. should go back later because, like, there's opera. Well, the opera's coming up actually, and there's phenomena. Have you ever seen that one? Mm-mm. That one has uh, Jennifer Connelly in one of her very first roles, and she controls mm-hmm. bugs. And Donald Pleasance is with him. She's trying to get revenge, I believe. With it. I haven't seen it forever, but some of his stuff is really cryptic, and I don't get it. But I thought that one was really good. Nice. Yeah, I, I just watched Inferno. Yeah, I, that's why I want to see that's supposed to be the sequel of sorts, spiritual sequel to Suspiria, and both are very like, what? But I enjoyed them. Yeah, it's a very different kind of horror. See, this is how terrible Children of the Corn is. Yeah. Now we're just talking about other movies. I know, it's kind of weird, right? Um, so let's say this real quickly. I did read the story uh, Children of the Corn years ago in high school. It's not very long, and they both die at the end, so they clearly changed it. It's... Uh, 
And Stephen King uh, was fine with his name being attached to this, even though it was barely connected. But he uh, sued to get his name removed from uh, the rest of the film. It was say based on a story by Stephen King instead of saying Stephen King's Children of the Corn Two, yeah. uh, which he went. You know, remember he did that with Lawnmower Man too. But this time, uh, his name was still connected to it. Whereas Lawnmower Man, they had to completely remove it. Do you mean Lawnmower Man, the sequel, or a T-O-O, it's in Lawnmower Man 2? Well, both of them. Both of oh, them, okay. they tried. And, well, no, no, no. I don't think they even tried with the second one, but the first time, he was like, you have to remove it. Uh, they won, but New Line Cinema was so cocky. They're like, look, every day that we have to pay this fee is way less than what we're actually making at the box office. Oh, can I say this? Uh, ever a drunk test is given to you, I think the cop should have you say, he who walks behind the rose? <laughs> that is a mouthful. <laughs> they say it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, pull your hands out and then extend your hand to touch your nose and say, he who walks behind the rose. He <laughs> walk. All right, so uh, I don't know if we still have any more 84 left. I have to look. Oh, yes, we do. We have Chud. We're fucking oh, doing Chud. Yeah. And let's see what else. I think Toxic Avenger came out in 84. I could be wrong. It could be 85. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I love Toxic. Well, look it up. So I, we got to do Chud. That's free on uh, Tubi. And uh, Children of the Corn is as well. And uh, then we'll probably move on to 1985, where it's going to be Zombie Town, USA, with Day of the Dead, Return of the Living Dead, and a great movie that's sort of a zombie film called Warning Sign, which no one ever talks about. Oh yeah, I've never heard of that it's one. It's a I've rage virus. It it's it's more of uh, more of what like Twenty Eight Days Later was. Cool. Yeah. All I, right. I mean, I've seen the other the, the other two zombie movies about a thousand times. So yeah, I, Return of the Dead I know really well. Day of the Dead I haven't seen in probably twenty five years, so I'm, I'm eager to revisit it. Yeah, it's a little corny, but still holds up. It, the I mean, it's um, yeah, social commentary is is pretty. It's still pretty profound today. Yeah. All right, so that is it. Check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast, and have a good night. All right, night, everybody.